Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 376, recorded November 6th, 2022. And today we're doing Star Trek Picard Stargazer, issue number two, and Star Trek Lower Decks, issue number two. Yes, the terrible twos. They're not terrible. I just, you know, that's a thing. Terrible twos. Books are not terrible. (laughs) No, the books are quite good. The Lower Decks, I think, is playing around even more so with the little footnotes than they did in the first issue, Mm. which to me can be very hit or miss. Sometimes the joke lands and I'm like, oh, yeah, that is actually pretty funny. Mm -hmm. And then other times I'm just like, you're just wasting my time. (laughs) I want to see what Boimler's doing, not some omniscient third party making jokes about Star Trek. I want to see what trouble Gilligan, I mean Boimler has gotten the gang into this time. Yeah, so Ken thinks that Boimler is just Gilligan in space. He's Gilligan in space. Which with we've already had hair. Gilligan in space with the the great animated series Gilligan's Planet, but uh ah. <laughs> I am totally unaware of that. You're oh, kidding yeah. me. How we long should was have been that a kid on? in the 80s? Oh, I don't know, season so that- 2. Saturday Saturday morning cartoon, Gilligan's Planet. I watched it. In the 80s. Okay. Yep. And so was the skipper there, and they, instead of a little boat, the minnow, they were in a ship? Yep. Yep. And they got stranded on a planet. What was the ship's yeah. name? I don't know. The minnow? No, no clue. <laughs> the space minnow. Well. The space minnow. I do remember, you know, like with uh, a lot of those shows, mm-hmm. uh, Gilligan had a little alien mascot that was... Always getting into mischief and stuff. Yeah, so it would, so so the mischief making could be spread around a bit. Right, right. Yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> so like a little tiki wiki. Yeah, exactly. Around hanging around. Right, right. Little. It was a little fuzzball, if I remember right, with two legs. Okay, not a robot. Got it. No, no, but. It was serving the same purpose, just to, to be cute. I can't need to get the little kids to click over there on Saturday morning. Cool. Okay. Well, there you go. I missed it again. Yeah, same for you being old. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, how dare you not know these these great shows, like, you know, Punky Brewster Show and the ALF Show and uh, all these great spin-offs. Well, I know the original ALF Show. And I'm aware of the original Punky Brewster show, although I never really watched it. I'm talking about the animated series. The animated versions. Okay. Yeah. Well, well uh, it worked with Star Trek, so here's these <laughs> other ones that went animated. Yeah, exactly. It worked right? just as well. Right? Right. Well, I don't watch just as well, but I love the animated series. I think it's great. Yep. Yep. Now that I watched when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. I didn't watch that till it was I was in middle school. Well, that's when it started coming on Nickelodeon. Yeah, well, that's because you're young. Oh, garbage! I, I wouldn't say you're not that young. Yeah. <laughs> More than me. Anywho, so anyways, uh, so yeah, Stargazer, love it. This is a great uh, continuation of the Card Show. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. Curious to see how it's going to tie into season three. And then Lower Decks is, you know, it feels like you're watching the show, I think. I, so. I think it very much is not blazing new ground. Although, like you mentioned, it does have those little omniscient third-party quips right, that are popping up. And just like in the actual show, all the Star Trek Easter eggs, there's... Yeah. Maybe not so much in this issue, but boy, that first issue with the... Yeah. The Herberts and all that stuff is just it like, was it was thick with the you are going the callbacks. Deep. Yeah. Also, another thing, just to comment, oh. maybe this is something we can talk about later too. But at the end of this issue, there is kind of an interesting list of callbacks. Yeah, that was that in the covers first both issue issues. Too. Oh, right. it 
Okay. Yeah, but, they had it at the end of issue one. So it at the end of issue one, it gave callbacks for issue two? Yeah, I meant to go back and look because Padgy says that there was a mistake in the last issue, so oh. they're doing it again. But uh, I don't remember there being a mistake, so I'll have to go back and look. Oh, to see what the mistake was. Yeah. Yeah, because this one covers both issues, but I guess yeah. it's correcting the previous one. Okay. Yeah, it says, sorry about the bug in the system last time. Mm. Here are the hidden references you requested. Nah. And then, yeah. yeah. So I'll have to go back and look at the comicsology issue of one and see if it's there. But I think it was there, too. Wrong. So, yeah. But anyways, shall we do, which one do you want to do first, Lower Decks or Picard? Lower Decks. Ah, well, then get us started. Then, Ken. Cool. So I'm doing the Lower Decks. And this is issue number two. And published date is October 2022. And the writer is Ryan North. Artist Chris Fenoglio. That's fun to say. Letters and design, Johanna Natali. Senior editor is Heather Antos. Editorial assist, Vanessa Real. I think, they're, I think those are all the same people from the first issue. But we got three covers. Cover A features a Dracula version of Boimler sitting in the captain's chair in full color with all the main members of the cast drained of blood and in black and white at his feet on the floor. Vampire Boimler is smiling and well-fed with blood running down the left side of his mouth, which is very red. And that cover is by Chris Finoglio. Cover B features a sort of Scooby-Doo cover with Dracula baring his teeth at the lower deckers on the right side of the cover. The left side is the Cerritos and the four lower deckers, all holding somewhat different uh, weapons. Boimler has a phaser. Stakes are being held by, by what's-her-face. Uh, what's-her-face? What's her name? Well, whatever. Uh, and then we've got Tricorder. Mariner. Uh, Mariner. That's it, Mariner. So then we've also got uh, a Tricorder being held and some kind of science thingy. Uh, okay. And of course, in the lower right, they're all running. The little little drawings of them all running like a Scooby-Doo kind of thing. Retailer instead of cover. The third one is a rather busy one with the four lower deckers in spacesuits out in space. Apparently, recently exited out of the back of a shuttle. The Cerritos is in the background. Boimler is desperately grabbing for his official Tom Paris collectible plate, which is apparently trying to reach back to Boimler. So Tom is there trying to reach back to Boimler uh, with his outstretched hands. And this one's by Philip Murphy. Down the bunk area, Mariner tries to talk the gang into resolving the Dracula holodeck problem rather than leaving it up to a Starbase team. In the end, she admits she wants to resolve it since Ransom does not trust her to resolve it, so she just has to prove him wrong by resolving it. Boimler says to leave it alone. But when Mariner presents a list of tasks they need to complete to resolve the Dracula dilemma, Rutherford and Tendy admit they love ticking items off a list. Suddenly, a message in red comes up on Mariner's pad saying the Dracula program is reactivated. Finally, Boimler agrees they need to deal with this, but also admits they're going to get in so much trouble. Oh, Captain... Skipper. Meanwhile, on the planet, Captain Freeman's team is about to be burned at the stake as witches by aliens that appear to be at a medieval level of development. The doctor's attempts at diplomacy triggers a most unexpected furry reaction from one of the villagers. Despite Captain Freeman's best efforts, they are tied to three wooden stakes and the fires are lit. The captain finally sees no other choice, and their deaths will not undo the Prime Directive contamination, so she tells Shax to unleash the beast. Meanwhile, on the Cerritos, the Fab Four are running to the holodeck when Mariner is hailed by Stevens, who reminds her she is late for her duty shift. Reluctantly, she obeys, and the other three continue on to the holodeck. Mariner speeds through her duties and ends her shift. When she finally finishes, she runs to the holodeck only to find an old-fashioned Transylvania picnic is being enjoyed by old Drac, Boimler, Tendy, and Rutherford. All three 
have drank the Drac Kool-Aid and made him his own holodeck simulation of Transylvania, complete with spooky castle, to make him feel more at home. Oh, and Boimler is now sporting a vampire cape, just like his mentor in leadership, Dracula. Mariner tries to find out what is going on, and it's pretty clear that all three dig Dracula, and in particular Boimler, who is really digging his vampire cape, and Dracula as being his new mentor. Dracula apologizes to Mariner about his earlier behavior and acts all nice guy. Mariner is not buying it and accuses Drac of hypnotizing Boimler and the others. Drac explains he cannot do the more fantastical vamp things like hypnotizing people or biting them and turning them into vampires, but he can turn into a bat himself, and he does so. Meanwhile, down on the planet, Shax has broken free of his bonds and released Captain Freeman and Dr. Tiana. He proceeds to scatter the natives by kicking on holy ASS on any native within range of his arms and thrown wooden poles. Back in the holodeck, Mariner finds out Dracula's built-in bloodlust is quenched with replicated blood Rutherford whipped up for him. That and strawberry daiquiris for them. Mariner begins to question whether Dracula really is not a threat, since his bloodlust is now satisfied. Drac invites Mariner and the others to come with him to his castle to give them the grand tour. Boimler joins Drac as he walks towards the spooky castle. Mariner hangs back and asks Rutherford and Tendy if they really believe Dracula is not a threat. They say he's not a threat, and there is no catch here. Hearing the words, no catch, triggers a realization, and Mariner runs after Drac and Boimler. In the castle, they see many funny tapestries hanging on the walls, showing Dracula and many figures from the Star Trek universe, like Vulcans, Borg, and, of course, Tribbles. Mariner grabs Dracula by the neck in a buddy move, telling Drac he is a hologram and there was never a threat to them. In fact, he is the solution to all their problems. She offers that Drac could become a member of the crew, but Drac does not go for it because he originally tried to bite Mariner in the neck before he was paused and thinks he will never be accepted by the crew. Mariner says no issues since Federation do-overs are definitely a thing. So Drac's one mistake is not a deal-breaker. Meanwhile on the planet, Shax has knocked out all the Quavanti that tried to burn them at the stake. Captain Freeman wants to cut their losses and get back to the ship, but before they can, they see a bright light in the sky coming towards them. The light turns out to be from a small shuttle-style craft that lands in front of them. A ticked-off alien in a tall hat emerges that looks like the Quavanti. Shax just beat up but obviously more technologically advanced. The tall hat person yells to them, You beat up the Yentoa! They all go into the shuttle, where the hat lady named Delana explains they were supposed to land at the coordinates she transmitted to the Cerritos, not wherever they felt like landing. On this planet, there are two separate civilizations that are physically identical, but developed on separate continents. The Cuventi progressed and developed space travel, while the Yentoa people did not. Delana activates energy restraints around Captain Freeman's group and says they have a prime directive that they take deadly seriously. They have laws against culturally contaminating the Yentoa, which the captain and her crew violated. Unfortunately, breaking that law carries with it a death sentence, of course, for the transgressors and anyone involved in the transgression. Delana opens a channel to command and orders the destruction of the Cerritos. Photon weapons are fired from the ground, which the Cerritos' sensors pick up. Ransom orders, shields up, evasive action. The ship is rocked with the force of the blasts, but the shields hold. Mariner and the gang are thrown to the ground, realize the ship is under attack, and run out of the holodeck, telling Drac they will be back soon. Drac tastes the small bit of real blood on the ground and curses that replicated fake blood. 
He wants the real thing and reverts back to the nasty vampire threat he always was. He asks the computer to tell him all about the Cerritos, her crew, and their vulnerabilities. To be continued. All right, so what did uh, Rutherford drop real blood on the on the holodeck? Um, I think I, I assumed that somebody was hurt when they were thrown to the ground, and so somebody bled. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It shows Rutherford with a, a hurt let hand. I guess he cut it on the uh, glass when he fell. I guess the safeties were off. Maybe that would make sense. Yeah, it, it yeah, shows. I, I don't it think on the, did they expo- I don't think they explained it, but. They That's didn't it. explain it, but it does show him when he's running, he's holding his hand, and there's blood coming out of it. So, yeah. there you go. There you go. I missed that part. I missed that panel. Yeah. So, right. do you think the uh, the tall chick has to kill herself? Because they landed on the planet to scoop him up. Yeah, but supposedly all the Yentoa were unconscious. <laughs> oh, that's a good point, good point. So, Shax is quite a madman when he gets going. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's like uh, the I, handy. He's he's like the handy wharf to have around. Only, you know, with thrill. feelings. Oh, with feelings, right? And so he's. Are not, you, are you, have you finished season three? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, oh, no okay, not at all. all right, and I won't say anything. Okay. Yeah, no. It's just I, I love I love that character, Shax. Oh, you love Shax? Okay. Yeah, he's so funny. So you're happy when he popped up after dying that. In season. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's so funny that uh, the whole bridge crew can't die thing. It's, that, I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> so they wrung all the emotional out of killing off a bridge member. And, of course, he was security, so great. It's a yard thing. Right. But then they just bring him back in the next season and make a joke out yeah. of it. So yeah. make a joke out of it. I loved it. Loved it. <laughs> I think it's funny that he and Dr. whatever her name is have a thing. Uh, yeah, the, the cat lady. The cat lady. Yeah. It's a little ooky, but whatever. Hey, don't be a speciest. I'm sorry. She's just, she's just a, uh, she just looks like a, like, a, a like an alley cat. She just looks like a, a mangy alley cat, the way they draw her in the, the, in the show. She has the chewed up ear and everything. Right. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I do love when she curses in this book, and then that's that's one of the little captions at the bottom that I thought actually worked well. Was uh, it says basically, there's some downside to putting your sassiest crew member in a critical diplomatic mission, and then basically said that the uh, universal translator should replace this with the words "wowie zowie" <laughs> instead of "blink." Yeah, uh, she's definitely cursing there. Yeah. Well, if ah, I love her. I love her just uh, on the show. Just, okay. They, they, they have, the censors have to be ready to, to beep her anytime she starts talking. <laughs> <laughs> Which you never see in Star Trek, so it's great. Yeah. They don't go the uh, Battlestar Galactical path of making oh, and up And making word. up curse words. Exactly. Yeah. Frack! Frack! Right. But. Which we all know what that means. Yes, we do. To drill for gas or oil. <laughs> <laughs> An alternate definition not intended by the makers of uh, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, my main uh, focus on this issue was mm-hmm. the tapestries. Can we talk about those? Ah, sure. Let's, let's talk about the tapestries. All right. So the one in the top left-hand corner is Boimler and Mariner holding a little baby drag. Uh-huh. So I guess that's because they were his parents, because it was their shenanigans that caused him to be created. I guess. I think that's very weird. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I just, and, yeah. He never came across that he he saw them as parental figures in any way. No. And then the main one is him as Jimi Hendrix. I don't get that one either. Well, it's the Jimi Hendrix one, and then it's the uh, triple one... And then it's well, the Neil Armstrong one on the moon. It's right. Like whatever. And what's the deal with the penguin? The penguin. Yeah, that was my third one. That I have no idea what the penguin's supposed to be. It's like a Lion King type moment, but instead of Simba, it's a, a penguin. Yeah. 
Is that what that's supposed to be? All right, so you, you, you at least you got that explanation. <laughs> I didn't even have that explanation. Right. So, uh, but is, is it because he? Oh, is it because Drac is usually like dressed in a? He's supposed to be dressed dressed in a tuxedo, but he oh. isn't dressed in a tuxedo. Now, if he was yeah. dressed in a tuxedo, like you know, Bela Lugosi's Dracula, then that would make maybe some more sense. I don't know. Mm. Anyways, I thought it was funny. I mean, it didn't really quite make sense, but I thought it was funny. Right. But yeah, the Jimi Hendrix one being the one big front and center, I just don't get... At first I thought, oh, maybe it's going to be like a an homage to the Anne Rice vampire books where he becomes a rock star, the stat does. Oh. And then, and then I started That's looking at all... That is a stretch. When I t- turned the page and that was the first thing that was like, blam, right there, I was like, oh, okay, so all these, all these panels are going to be like Dracula as other literary or or movie vampire so then i start looking around going no that doesn't work just that one yeah so it's a mixture of of things but i mean a lot of it is like historical kind of things right which is what rutherford says is that yeah. he, he mixed in him himself into the historical documents but right whatever it's funny well what do you think about drac biting a borg for a change <laughs> i thought it was funny yeah so that was yeah. that, that was, I like that because that was a nice reversal of roles, right? Because that's where they usually zap you with their little tubes, and it's always two tubes. And it's always in the neck. Well, usually in the neck, and right. it's definitely a vampire kind of thing. So that kind of was was decent, and then the whole Vulcan thing was just you know from first yeah. contact. That was, was there. I thought that was kind of throwaway. I thought it was pretty funny. You thought that was funny? Yeah, I mean it was just like he's putting himself into all these historical events. Well, okay, I don't know it's funny, though. I mean, yeah, that's what he's doing, but is it funny? It's like, Yeah, well, it's funny. I, uh, I, I think I'm amused by the Borg one. I'm not, not amused the, by not the, the Armstrong one. one. Mm. And then and the Neil like, Armstrong one, I'm not. It's like, well, okay, fine. <laughs> now, now, at least Drac is recreating the Kirk scene with the troubles. Right. So right. that's, okay, I, I like that. Is that, deep, is that K-9? No, Deep Space it's, 7. It's, no, it's, was? it's K-9. Yeah, okay, I was that's right. That's the Deep, yeah, the Deep Space Station, whatever. Right. Or Space Station, I don't think they call it Deep. Space Station K-9. Right, okay. So, uh, yeah, so that, that kinda, that's kind of good, because that's a good callback. So that's fine. And then the last, the one with Drac just holding up a glass of blood. Yeah, that's fitting. Yeah, it's fitting. It's fine. And that's exactly what... I mean, he's physically standing in front of it with a glass of blood. So it's like, okay, yeah, okay. It's not blood. It's a drachery. A drachery, right. A strawberry jack drachery. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And then Boimler, he loves his cape. I love that cape, too. Reminds me of the uh, that, that first Next Generation miniseries with the... Uh, uh, the bickering couple on the bridge that also oh, for oh some my reason. god they had short capes yes yeah they had superhero capes yeah as opposed but, to Dracula capes but why it just still it still doesn't make sense to no, me why they no had sense. capes because it's a comic book <laughs> it's a comic book and whoever the producers were said oh we got to make this a little bit like a com- like superheroes <laughs> no you don't no you don't so what did you think of the whole little daydreaming or whatever thing he did where he's giving capes to members of the command staff of the Cerritos and, and they do that callback to that uh, third season Taz episode. Uh, the, when, the, uh, was when that a third season? When they were going to freeze? And... Yep. Yeah. So they went through that library. Oh, that yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, that one. Right. Yeah, did, yeah. Did, didn't Spock create a little Bambino or something, supposedly? Yeah, yesterday's, yesterday's son or whatever. Yeah, yeah. something like some, yeah, some yep. expanded universe story. Use that. Use that episode. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot that about that. Yep. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So if they just had capes, they would have uh, not frozen to death. <laughs> well, they didn't freeze to death, but they would have been more comfortable. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting callback. And again, Gilligan, Gilligan. So did you have the Gilligan vibe from the show or just these comics? Um, it really came into crystal clear focus in these comics. Okay. Although he's usually the wacky guy that 
you know, causes problems that they all got to work their way out of. Not always, but uh, enough. Now, one thing I do like is Rutherford in the corner of that thing after Boimler does his whole thing about the capes, and he says, dang, that's only too plausible. <laughs> so that was, I like that joke. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So what else did you find commentable in this one? Um, actually, I don't really have all that much. I mean, I enjoyed it, but, I mean, it didn't rock any new boat. I mean, it didn't, you know, it just seemed like an episode. I did like the, uh, what's the other security guard when he says, uh, his fist closed, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny to, to see that in comic book form. Um, I'm know, sorry, which, which security guard? The the Damar guy the where he says, photons from the surface. Uzan, his fist closed, sir. I thought that was funny that everybody just supposed to know what he's talking about. Oh, because I don't. What, what, what oh. does that mean? I, I don't know. Well, oh, remember oh. in that one, the uh, next generation. Because he's a Demar, and... a Demar, like yeah, the same. Yeah, uh, right. Okay, got it. Well, he yeah, pops so up every they... once in a while, but on the show, yeah. yeah. But this is the first time we've seen him in the comics. Sure. Yep. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> okay. Cool. But the artwork was good. Looks very reminiscent of the show, oh. and the Cerritos look good. Spot on. It's spot on on the show, which I think they made a very conscious effort. <laughs> And I think that was the right decision. Right. Yeah. Now, have you heard the rumor that Boimler and Mariner are going to be in season two of Strange New Worlds? I heard there was going to be a crossover. And yeah. I saw yeah. the video footage from a Comic-Con. Well, no, that was the Star Trek um, Star Trek Day or whatever. Oh, Star Trek Day? Yeah. Well, they were up on stage. Yep. And they were doing, as I recall, Lower Decks did their thing first. And then Strange New World folks came out, and then uh, the actors that do Mariner and Boimler kind of loitered, and then they they talked about the crossover. Right. But that's the only thing I know about it. Yeah, I'm just curious on how they do it. Well, it should be interesting, you know, mixing, you know, the animated characters with... uh, I assume they'll be plunking... The animated characters into a live action setting, right? Because because the woman looks like Mariner and and Boimler looks close enough to Boimler. Just throw some purple hair on him; he's good. It, he's kind of tall though, um, but yes. Well, so is Mariner. The, the woman who plays Mariner is a tall woman. Yeah. Now I, I, it'll be curious. I'm curious on how the the timelines will match up though. Cause well, yeah, it to be doesn't make any sense. Hundred years later, exactly. It's all good. Tiny wine. It's fine. It won't matter. <laughs> we want to see it. We want to see it, so show it to us. Come on. All right. You have anything else? I do. Please. When I was reading, I, I basically find it really hard to believe that any alien civilization that would be advanced enough for faster than uh, light space travel would decide to have a prime directive about the sister race on their own planet, that they would kill people over it that didn't know about it and had some contamination. And I just find that a real stretch, which, of course, you know, you got to have the characters in danger, right? So, of course, they're going to say that. I just find it a really difficult thing to believe. But then, of course, I recalled the first TNG season when they almost killed Wesley for stepping on some geraniums (laughs) or falling backward on some, some plants or something. That they were going right. to... Yeah, he's supposed to play him. And they were going to kill him, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. going to kill him. So so I guess in the Star Trek universe, I guess it's there. Ha- there is precedent. Right, and then remember all the trouble Archer got in because his dog peed on a tree? Oh! On a <laughs> not until you just mentioned it. I did not recall that at all. <laughs> but, but now that you mentioned it, it's like, oh yeah, I do remember something about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking about it. So as they advanced in technology, they had to make sure none of their flight plans went over the, that continent. To Which make sure would be hard, wouldn't it? They never saw a plane or, or satellite. a car or anything. So they'd be looking up and they'd see a fast-moving star. A st- what, what looks like a fast-moving star, exactly, right. Which yeah. is really a satellite. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? You'd really have to go out of your way. Right. And in the end, and why? So, so, so you're letting them progress at their own pace, but why? 
I mean, they're your... Which, that makes sense. I mean, if you did that, that's great. You know, like, we well, should have, you know, maybe we shouldn't have, you know, converted all the Native Americans or Aborigines and stuff like that to be more Western. So, I mean, I kind of get letting them stay their own and letting them do their own thing, but it's the, I'm going to kill you if you even step over there. That's that's the part where I... Yeah, the, that's my the point. Issue is gonna, yeah, that's my main point. Third issue is going to drop something different that, oh, maybe they've now been contaminated with whatever knowledge the these other people have, and they're trying to keep it from going to the main continent. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. You're right. It doesn't really doesn't really make sense why we would kill them for doing it as opposed to maybe killing those people for seeing them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So my main first point would that you would kill anybody over contaminating the Intoa. Um, right. Especially if you know nothing about it. You never communicated that to us. How are we supposed to know that? I think that's a bit extreme. But then secondarily, I was thinking, well, do you really want to keep your sister race in the Stone Age or not Stone Age, but the Middle Ages. So, right. I don't know. Well, um, it sounds like at one point they were together and then they moved off and adopted a uh, more primitive lifestyle or whatever. Didn't she say that? I, I thought they were saying that they're on different continents and they were isolated. Well, obviously they came from a common ancestor. So maybe like on Earth when very long ago all the continents were together. Uh, maybe then they were interacting because they're the same race, physically the same race. And then continents spread, they're cut off from each other, they develop at different paths, isolated right. from each other. But well, obviously... They said it was, yeah, they said it was 15,000 years ago when they moved, the, the people that live in this new continent moved over from the old continent. And then from that point, they became uh, isolationist and developed at their different directions. So, yeah, whatever okay. that means. Well, whatever. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. If that I mean, whether, meant, they, whether they cross on, uh, on rafts. Or, I mean, or a land bridge or whatever. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, and then you're like, is 15,000 years enough of a separation? But I guess it would be. That is a long time. It's a long time, but so, 15,000. Yeah. That, well, that, is a lo- that is a long period of time. But, I mean, that depends on what their lifespan is and things like that, too. But whatever. So, I I did like the joke, though, about you just beam down randomly (laughs) to a planet. You don't even check where you're supposed to beam down to. That was pretty funny. Yes, but, and then they're blaming it on the the transmission issues. Right. So, they got the first part of it, but they, but the Cerritos never got the uh, landing coordinates. So what were they expecting? Just to be beamed down and then say, take me to your leader and <laughs> they're going to get to the right people? Uh, what did the Cerritos crew expect? Yeah, if they yeah. didn't even know for sure that's where they're supposed to land. Mm-hmm. I, think, I thought it was pretty funny. I mean, why well, would you... Well, did they, did they spot... Did they come down directly and did they spot the one building, go to the building, which is a castle, and is that what happened? So they thought, oh, well, there's a building. That must be it. Uh, it's a big assumption, obviously, but... Right. Or were they following the other ship's landing coordinates? And is that what they meant? Well, they were if, in if that's what they did, they wouldn't have landed on the wrong continent. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. Oh, well, it's a joke. Let it go. Exactly. This definitely, sh- definitely these comic books you don't want to take too seriously. It's supposed to be funny. It's animated. Just go with it. But, sir... But, sir... Yes. Okay, that's all I have to say. Yep, same here. All right, you ready for uh, maybe the better one of the two? I mean, I enjoyed that <laughs> one. This is this is more in line with with real trick. Yeah, I I definitely preferred uh, the Stargazer issue over the Lower Decks one, but both good, both good. Yes, let's do it. All right, let's see. All right, so this came out with a cover date of October twenty twenty two. Written by Kristen Bayer and Mike Johnson. Art by Angel Hernandez. Colors by J.D. Mittler. Letters by Neil Yutaki. Edits by Heather Antos. Editorial assists by Vanessa Rial. So, tons of covers. The first one by Angel Hernandez shows a, a headshot of Picard and Seven. And then below them is like a desert planet with a, a lone figure walking. The next cover is the one I kind of like the best by Butch Mappa. 
it has the Starfleet swoosh, so keep that in mind. And then inside the swoosh is Seven of Nine decked out in Starfleet uniform. But then when her legs come out of the swoosh, she's uh, dressed up as a Finnis Ranger. So it's kind of like she's half and half. And uh, it's kind of cool because like her half her head is outside of the swoosh, her shoulders outside of the swoosh, and her lower body is outside of the swoosh. So all that looks like a, a Phineas Ranger. And then inside the swoosh, she's wearing a uniform, I guess, to kind of depict her duality. Which, which world does she belong to now? And the Fenris Ranger outfit being skin tight, it doesn't hurt either. <laughs> okay. Yeah, at first when I saw it, it's all silvery. So I thought, oh, it's her Seven of Nine you know, uh, Voyager uniform. But then when you look at it, it's it's not just a, a cat suit. It actually has pockets and uh, a little jacket and stuff. So much more practical. All right, and then the last cover by Aaron Harvey. This shows uh, Seven of Nine, her reflection as it's being reflected off of the L cars of some sort of uh, computer terminal. And that's it. I guess on the terminal, there's some sort of dog tag looking thing. So I didn't know that Starf leaders walk around with dog tags, but maybe they do. And she's like resigning. I don't know what that I don't know what that cover is supposed to be telling me. But let's get into the story. So uh, as you remember, at the end of last issue, Seven of Nine showed up with the giant BFG and she takes out a ship. And you're really looking forward to getting back into that story. But you're gonna have to wait a bit because we start off with a flashback. So this flashback jumps back 27 years ago, and the planet Jinjor 6 is being evacuated. So the Romulans have really effed up the planet, mining for this precious Silesium. So the leader of the colony is uh, Zinus. Zinus? How would you pronounce that? Zinus. I'm going to say it's Zinus. So he's the guy that in the last issue agreed with Picard... Uh, which is, I guess, supposed to be about 20 years earlier than this, to leave the planet Jinjor population alone because they were pre-warp. Just leave them alone. Picard gave them some coordinates to some Cilicium and some nearby asteroid, and Jinjor agreed, and that was the end of it. Uh, so now he's planning on leaving all the Remans onto the planet uh, because one they're not worthy of saving and also he says that they will not uh, be affected by the radiation caused by the the mining mishap just the romulans are leaving leaving the Reman slaves and uh, obviously they're not messing with the original ginger natives and this also includes his daughter that he had with a Reman slave so we flash back to the present Seven, again, uses her giant BFG to take out another attacking ship. This time, the craft crashes very close to them, and Picard looks in and sees that the pilot is a Reman. Seven then gives the backstory to Picard, brings him up to date, tells him about the Remans being left behind, and uh, they then militarized the surface, which then forced the natives to live in hidden underground layers. She then takes them to a hidden elevator and travels down to one of these layers or bunkers or whatever you want to call them. But uh, when they get there, they are massive. These huge underground cave systems filled with large greenhouses. And we see living spaces scattered across every wall and every stalactite. It's just massive. Picard meets with the leaders of the natives and then Captain Makara which, as you remember, in the last issue, she's the Andorian captain of the Stargazer. She agrees with Seven that uh, the Stargazer needs to remove the natives from the planet and relocate them. They now just need a way to break through the Riemann jamming frequencies, so they're going to set up a raid against the Riemann camp. Picard is feeling horrible that he nor Starfleet has ever checked in on the Jinjor people for almost 50 years the reader me is wondering where were those second contact specialists way back when to do these little follow-up missions Picard decides or he's actually kind of told to stay with the natives while seven makara and the rangers all head out towards the reman camp so basically the 
layer is unprotected, and this is a perfect time for the Remans to attack the underground oasis. They are led by a fellow Jinjorin who betrayed her people because she was hungry, and I guess they offered her food or something. The Riemann leader is none other than Zenith's daughter, and Picard pleads with her to just take the oasis and let these people leave the planet. And then she says she will not allow it because she wants to use them as slave labor. So meanwhile in orbit, a huge Romulan ship decloaks right in front of the Stargazer. It is captained by Zenith himself, and then he contacts the Stargazer, and he demands that they leave the planet at once. To be continued. That is a mighty big Deridex-class battlecruiser. Yeah, so... It's it's way in the fort background, and yet it's still so much bigger than the Stargazer. Exactly. Very good point. So the Stargazer is in front, so from a perspective standpoint, it should look larger than it really is, but that Romulan battlecruiser is, looks massive. Absolutely massive. Right. And I thought the Stargazer was, you know, a, a good-sized ship. I mean, maybe not, I mean, like, like, like Big-ish. Like, um, just like the Enterprise E, uh, or close to it anyway. Right. But compared to this thing, uh, and I thought, I thought the Romulans, you know, uh, not that long before, was it 30 years, 20 years? When, when was Romulus destroyed? Whatever. Um, yeah, I had it written down. Hold on so they lost a lot of their resources in that catastrophe. So right. they were kind of building back. But they're able to build, <laughs> what, uh, a, a modern Deerdex that is, you know, three or four times bigger than the original ones in the TNG time frame? Yeah, so it's supposed to be only about 14 years after okay, 14 years. Romulus. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe it's so big because it was one of the evacuation ships? I, I don't know. Hmm. Well, that's an I mean, interesting theory. But it did get you wondering, did they bother to save the Remans too, or did they just all stay on the planet and get killed? I don't know. Uh, but they would have both been destroyed. Right. Uh, both planets. I don't well, know. And if you go with the Kelvin universe, uh, like like the whole sector was destroyed, not just, just the one star system. Exactly. Well, yeah, because you've got that magic. Uh, <laughs> that, that magic um, star, stellar explosion. So, Nova, yeah, which yeah. apparently moves at faster than light travel. Um, anyway, whatever. We've talked about right. that enough. <laughs> but that is huge. Yeah, Just it looks like the Stargazer huge. could fly right into that Cylon eyeball of the... <laughs> Doesn't it? Good point. It, well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Uh, it I mean, does look it, like a Cylon. You agree with that part? Though, yes, right? I definitely think it looks like a Cylon. Um, I think I, I think it makes the Stargazer looks like look like the NX-01. Yeah, just a little baby ship. Just a little baby ship. Yeah. Anywho, so the Stargazer still has four warp nacelles, so I bet it still can outrun it. You think it so? Had to. I bet it can. Oh, I bet it can. Although, look at the size of those nacelles. <laughs> Those ample nacelles <laughs> on that deer decks. Anyway. So what do you think of the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to comment quickly that I think th- there is a drawing elsewhere in the comic, and I think the uh, Stargazer is quite a lovely ship. Oh, yeah, it's the Very nice base. drawing. Yeah, it's very very nice. nice. That's all I want to say. Go ahead. But it was also in regards to the artwork. So what did you think about the artwork in, for the Remans? So I guess this is the uh, Kelvin version of Remans? Yeah. Or not the Kelvin universe, the uh, well, Picard, Picard the CBS universe. All Access universe, where well, everything uh, gets a slight redesign. Okay, let me just talk about Reska, who is the Riemann-Romulan hybrid. Mm-hmm. And I think she is drawn very cool. I mean, she looks like vampire chick big time. And I think the Remans that we saw, what, Nemesis? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I think they were vampire-like, too. But, man, she is drawn really cool. 
So she's got the hair, so I guess that's the Romulan part. Yeah, and has that widow's peak like Bella Lugosi. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then those sparkling green eyes. Very cool looking. And then ruby red lips uh, against the pale, pale skin. She, she is striking. Very nicely drawn. Now, yeah. as far as the rest of the Remans, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see as much FaceTime for the other Remans. They, got, they have a lot like hoods on and stuff. Right. It did show Mostly, that one but, dead. So yeah. It's hard to judge a whole species by one dead one, but... Yeah. So what do you think? I like it. Just overall, the artwork, especially when it came to alien creatures, mm-hmm. everything seemed to be like soft focus. So it mm-hmm. wasn't like there wasn't a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is detail, but it's just like kind of mixed in with the coloring. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the biggest fan of, to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. I didn't really notice it before this issue, but it just seemed like it kind of washed out their faces. It washed out the Andorian's face and even Seven of Nine for the most part. A lot of times it just looks like a blob of skin tone with a, a slight nose, you know, and it's just like, yeah. I don't know, there's something about it that, it, and, and, and then and then with the aliens, it was even more dramatic for me. It's just that, you know, you don't see any of those head ridges or creases or anything like that. It's just kind of all like softly blended together. Yeah, and, and it's uneven. So some panels, they show a lot of detail. Like I'm looking later in the book where just before the Stargazer crew, uh, meets the uh, the battlecruiser. Mm-hmm. Um, the commander, or whoever the guy is that's in, in the con, he looks all washed out in his face. And then there's a, a lady who's, uh, I guess she's maybe, maybe she's the uh, uh, the pilot, helmsman? I'm not yeah, sure. Right. But, but she has more detail. So it really, I guess if you're more of a background or further away, he's going lighter on the detail. But he does show some detail in some of these. Like, on the previous page, Picard looks pretty detailed. Uh, so, yeah. But even though Close it's... Ups. Even then, it's kind of soft focus. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. It's very soft. Yeah. Which isn't Angel Hernandez's normal style. So, it's... Again, I, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's just not what I'm used to. Right. So, what do you think about the Jedi Council? <laughs> He did not look like a Jedi Council. Oh, come on! The I mean, Jinnoran Council, sitting, sitting, in those, sitting, sitting in those chairs and stuff. <laughs> and, and, and I know the Jedi Council is usually a full circle, sure. where this is not a full circle. They kind of scrunch the chairs together more. But <laughs> as soon as I saw this scene, it was like, Jedi Council. Yeah, I thought Council. it was interesting. <laughs> well, that's, that's the best viewing angle of the hologram planet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So what do you think about these aliens? Uh, they look... They look like tall ETs. I don't yeah, know. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Especially the ones without the big beard things. Yeah, the beards are weird. Yeah, is that flesh or is that? That's what I was wondering. Is it hair or is it like little fleshy tendrils? Like, they look like tendrils. little fleshy tendrils, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, oh, I found them. Uh, I think that looks like flesh, not hair. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. So I guess uh, you're not shaving that off. No. <laughs> Yet, look at the guy. I mean, some of these other guys don't have the tendrils on their chin. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe once you get to a certain age, your your tendrils start growing in. Maybe, maybe. Okay, so, so this leader guy really betrays all of his people? Is it the leader that does it, or just some random Some dude? other, some rando? I thought it was a random dude, because or a random... I say dude. Uh, I thought it was a woman when I read it, but... I-K-A-L is the one who's the traitor. And he's in a, a golden... With the necklace? ...thing, with the green necklace, right. So is that the leader we met earlier, or is he a rando? I don't know, they all look alike. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> well, you're definitely right. There is, a, there is a guy that's wearing that gold necklace. Does it say his name's Icon? Yeah, there it is. Jean-Luc, this is Icon, leader of the Junior. Oh, wow, leaders. so... It, it is the leader that turns him in. It is the leader. I thought it was just a random person. Dude, dude, you are not cool. I call it's not cool. You're fine. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that person anymore. <laughs> yeah, especially when she says, you know, I'm going to just make you slaves. <laughs> just like, well, she didn't learn anything by being a slave. No. I mean, I guess she did learn. She learned how to 
how to have slaves. Do onto others as they did onto her. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that's rough. Well, I mean, especially since you do have a possibility now between the Fenris Rangers and the Federation, you might have a way out here. Where if you continue down, I mean, maybe you originally made this deal because you saw no way out and you became Mr. Selfish. Right. But now there is a way out. So, you know, changing teams again might be a good idea. Because in the end, these Remans have limited resources, right? There's a yeah. limited number of people. There's a limited, you know, their, their weapons are limited. And unless the Romulans are going to do anything about them... Which, why would they? Um, I mean, they did show up at the end, so I, I, maybe yeah, they've been in point there longer than we thought. Maybe, yeah. But obviously, it is the Federation involved here. That is a Federation captain. It isn't just Picard, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, and the Fenris Rangers have some amount of, of, you know, resources also that could be brought to bear, but BFGs and stuff. Right, yeah. So it got me wondering about season three of Picard, Mm because I know they've said there's going to be two main villains, and that they're both female, and that they're both people we haven't seen before. And in the trailer, we've only seen the one woman, and and I don't know who she's supposed to be. But then it got me thinking, I wonder if this is going to be like this girl's origin, and she's going to be a major player in season three. I don't know. Good question. And this is kind of her origin story. Good question. So we know we've got Moriarty is there somehow. True. We assume yeah. he's going to be a villain, but we really don't know for sure. Uh, although he did pull a gun out, didn't he? Right. And then we know we've definitely got Honey Bunny. Honey Bunny. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> From Pulp Fiction. From Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Or was she, or was the guy Honey Bunny? Or was, well, whatever. <laughs> so... And did you, I did not know that, but she is Christopher, Christopher Plummer's daughter. Right, yeah. Which was like wackadoodle. So, I mean, she, I thought she was awesome in uh, Pulp Fiction. And the few things other than that I've seen her in, she seems like she can be pretty intense. Right. As an actress, uh, you know, really bring it. But I had no idea she was Christopher Plummer's daughter. Yeah, I didn't know that until I read the, read the article um, right. when, when that trailer came up. right. Um, and she's going over the top in those trailers. I mean, she, <laughs> I definitely can't wait to see who she is. Yeah. I mean, supposedly she has a good reason for hating the Federation Picard. So we'll see. That always makes the best, uh, the best stories. Well, you want them to have motivations, don't you? Instead right. of just being, you know, mustached, handlebar mustached, uh, cardboard cutout villains. So we will see. So, anyways, so I think very unlikely that the Screaming Woman will show up, Reska, but uh, it would be uh, cool if she did. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the just makeup design, it would be a very cool look. Yeah. Because I always liked the Reman look and hated that, you know, that's the only time we've ever seen them, ever, is yeah. Nemesis. And they got Ron Perlman to play one, and he's always great. So. Yeah, I love, I love Ron Perlman. Yeah. Okay, so the last thing I have to say about this one is I thought it was cool that Picard didn't go with Seven on the commando raid. Because it's like, you're old, even though you're a robot, and yeah. you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. That, that's my whole thing, is that he shouldn't be a, a 90-something-year-old person anymore well, with those frailties. Exactly. It's like... Um, in reality, you are the most qualified. <laughs> you are basically, you know, data level capabilities, probably. Right? Right. right. So, and you've just been deprogrammed to be old, old man mode. But if he is that old man mode, you remember that, I think it was very good, that in season one, when Picard was going behind What's-Her-Face uh, to the roof, and why did you go to the roof? Okay, whatever. I mean, he was winded. He, you know, he's an old guy. He's not going to be running around. Oh, right, 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 right. So if they really programmed him like that, he would definitely be a liability on a commando raid. Right. He couldn't keep up. Yeah, exactly. So I, I mean, think that was good that they, that they did not bring him. And then, of course, you end up seeing, oh, well, that's because, you know. Rest is coming. Exactly. 
so he can be interacting with Reska after she takes over the place. Right. Anyway. And I just thought it was odd, the timing of everything. So really, it's been 50 years since that first time Picard said, hey, don't mess with this planet. Go to this other place to get your minerals. Right. And nobody's followed up on them exactly. for 50 years. Exactly. And then it show, you know, goes from, we get Picard 50 years ago on the original Stargazer. 27 years later, the Romulans have already screwed up the planet so bad they're leaving. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and time-wise, that would take place the same year as Insurrection and Deep Space Nine, the final season of Deep Space Nine. So I guess during the Dominion War or whatever. So I guess they're busy. The yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, but it seems like he's been there a while. I mean, it's not like he just showed up, screwed it up, and left. It's yeah. He's been there a while, built all those buildings, and then the mining and mishap or whatever caused the radiation that he decides they need to evacuate. Again, just seems seems odd that nobody knew this was going on. Mm-hmm. And then, so if that was 27 years later, then, yeah, it would just be, um, what, 13 years after that that Romulus destroyed so, a lot of stuff happened in, in those 50 years, and these poor Jinjor, they've been subjugated and moved to the underground layers. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's pretty horrible. Yeah. Not good. They delayed it slightly. Picard's moves did delay it, don't you think? Uh, so, the Romulans went off and right. raped why, another why planet. Why would he think and that, that... Would, Why wouldn't they come back? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Why yeah. would he think that that was... Oh, I got his word. He said he was going to go get this other selenium. And I'm sure he did. But then sure came back. <laughs> then just came back to get the rest of it. Exactly. Exactly. Ah, uh, so stupid. Picard is kind of stupid. <laughs> you can't trust a Romulan. Ask well, Worf. You think like, Worf trusts a Romulan? It's like Khan, right? You know, Kirk never going back to check up on Khan. Right, even after the, what, the planet explosion. Two planets collided and <laughs> destroyed destroyed City Alpha 5. Yeah, which you don't necessarily... I mean, you don't necessarily know that happened unless you go back to the planetary system. Right, exactly. But still. Yeah, I think you would check in once in a while. Or, if not Kirk, at least some sort of Federation out... You know, put a satellite or something out there to, to give updates every once in a while. Exactly. I think we're overthinking it, though. We are. If they did all that, there wouldn't be a cool movie to watch. <laughs> exactly. So, anyways, I'm definitely curious on, uh, as far as the two stories that are going on right mm-hmm. now in, in Star Trek world, mm-hmm. uh, this is by far, to me, the one I'm most invested in. I really need to find out what happens at this one. Yeah. Whereas the Lower Decks one, I'm like, yeah, Dracula is going to... Dracula's going to do Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course... The, the team's going to thwart him eventually. So. Sure. They're going to do it like Moriarty and just, in the end, like put him on ice for a while. Put him in a data core and deactivate it. Right. So he can come back later at some point. So, yeah, what happened to that data core? Because uh, in the books and stuff, it was in the Enterprise D. And then when they crashed, they were able to bring him back and... You know, and then he kind of woke up. You know, they were able to bring him out of the out of the cube and stuff in the in the novels. Okay. The po- the post uh, movie novels. So yeah, I'm curious on how they're going to retcon all that, and where where is this boy already been? Well, they're just going to eighty six the uh, the expanded universe stuff. Right, but I'm just curious on what's going to be their explanation as to how he got out or whatever. Yeah, right, exactly, right. Because I kind of, I really like the books version because he got out, he wanted Data to create him a body, you know, uh, an android body. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a whole thing, and and they're really good books. Um, so I'm, like I said, I'm just curious on how they're gonna, what their take on it's gonna be. Right. Well, we're gonna we find out. It's good. To, it's good to have things to look forward to. Season two of Strange New Worlds, the next season of Picard, final season. Third and final. Oh yeah, um, there's some good stuff to be uh, to be seen. And of course, that there's that whole theory about an extra bit they haven't talked about yet, which is a way to keep the show going but without Stuart. Oh yeah, yeah. Just call it the Stargazer and be about seven on the Stargazer. <laughs> well, yeah, 
But it's, that's not seven, though. I mean, there, well, there's a theory out there, which who knows if it's true or not. But supposedly they've identified an actor and everything. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard any of that. You want? Yeah, uh, sure. What is okay, it? So the theory, this is just a theory. Just a theory. So supposedly they've already identified an actor who's been in some things, and he's going to be, yes, you guessed it, son of Picard somehow. Uh, but son of Picard and who? Um, question. Well, you would think. You would think. But, uh, I mean, but this guy's an adult, right? Right. So uh, he's a, like probably in his upper 20s or something. Which would make sense if, if they got together after Nemesis. Right. Yeah. So there's the possibility of this extra character that nobody's talking about coming up. Well, that definitely makes sense because in, in some of the trailers, they've really implied that Crusher's been with somebody else. Like she's protecting, and I assumed it, I kind of assumed it was Picard's son, even though I, I hadn't heard that rumor. Hmm. But just from the trailers, out. I kind of got that vibe. And, right. I, and she's not part of Starfleet anymore. She's been doing her own thing, maybe with this kid. Renee, you know, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> so that's cool. Well, uh, I think that'd be cool. I think it'd be very cool if they if they named him Renee. Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can use some of the expanded universe, why wouldn't you? I mean, you yes. shouldn't be a slave to it, but if you can use it, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, Star Wars. All you had to do was change Ben's name to Jason, and all of us legacy fanboys would have been happy. <laughs> for Kylo Ren? Yeah. Yeah, I got it. All right. Uh, well, anything else for this issue? Nope. All right. We actually, uh, due to the scheduling and stuff, we actually get to find out what happens next. Just Yes, next we week. do. In our next episode. Right. So, so 377. What? Yeah. So we'll do Picard, issue three, mm-hmm. and the new Star Trek ongoing with Cisco, Crusher, and data, it looks like. So Which that'll be I'm interesting. Very looking forward to. Very curious on how that's going to work. Now that's data, or you said that's possibly lore. Oh no, they said it was lore. That's right. Okay. Yeah, because in the little, because I'm just going off of the cover. Sure. But you're right. In the uh, Star Trek Celebration thing, they said lore. It was in credits, so that'll be cool. Well, it should be interesting to see the turnabout. And yeah. Is that or is that not lore, or is it before in season three of Picard? Right. I mean, he's definitely frowny, like Lore, but he's also gray-haired and old. (laughs) So, which is a little bit more what they were hoping for with Before, I understand. So Before was supposed to be a way for Spiner could continue to play, you know, an android. Keep aging. Right, right. Well, yeah, so the explanation for the jowls and everything... (laughs) would be uh, Data was destroyed, but they downloaded his consciousness into B4, and B4 is, yeah, kind of blocky and just not as young and virile. That's what I, I understood. I, that's what I understood the idea for B4 was originally supposed to be. Yeah, that's what you've always said, and it definitely sounds plausible. So yeah. I think you're right. So is this B4, or is it lore? I don't know. And that's another theory, by the way, which I did not come up with this. But when they did the panel thing, where they had the next-gen folks all talking about season three, there was an interplay between Frakes and Spiner where they were actually saying things like, you've played the part before. Anyway, they were going back and forth a bit, mm. which gave somebody, the, the person doing this particular YouTube video, the idea that maybe... Uh, Maybe it really is before. Huh. We'll see. We'll see. Well, in other Star Trek Picard news, have you read the novel Second Self? Not yet, no. I do have it, but I have not read it yet. You? Yeah, no, same. I I was just curious if maybe, if you had read it and you said, oh, I need to read it before the new season starts, then I would jump on that. But it looks like it takes place after season one and before season two, so. Oh, hmm. In between, yeah. Yeah. So that's not going to tell us much. Nope. Nope. So what do we have until February? Is that when it starts? 2023? Um, yeah, I it's 2023. I think, so. I think it's right. February. Yeah, I think it's February. Okay. So we have a little time. I'm really looking forward to it. Because I 
am, quote, reading, it's really the audiobook, Brent Spiner's fan fiction book. Right. Which has a lot of cameos because it's supposed to take place during, like, season two or so of TNG, something like that. Right. So there are a lot of cameos by Frakes and LeVar Burton's in there a couple times so far. I haven't finished it yet, but yeah. it's pretty good. I like it. Yeah, w- watching his panel and watching him talking about it, it, it looked pretty funny. Yeah. And with him doing the narration and all, all the other TNG crew, mm-hmm. you know, it seems like the audiobook was the way to go to get the most enjoyment out of that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, so and, it's, it, it's kind of like a, a film noir kind of thing, and it's totally reaching back into TNG episodes uh, for some of the stuff that's in it. And it's real. It's real. It's good. It's good. I think it's quite clever. Yeah, I did like in the panel where they kept talking about uh, what you think is made up, really happened, and what sounds plausible is is stuff I made up. (laughs) Really? Okay. Yeah. Because there are things going on in there which obviously were made up. Uh, There, there's a thing involving a uh, a pig penis, which (laughs) must have been made up. Okay. I don't know. Pigs do have those. <laughs> they at do least, exist. Or at least, uh, you know, half of the pigs. So somebody sends Brent Spiner a pig penis in a box. Oh, God. Uh, and it's like, ooh. I could see that being something that totally sounds like it did not happen. And maybe it did. Right. Uh. So it was delivered to his trailer. <laughs> which he said was really small <laughs> during TNG. And he goes into a lot of detail about what a pain in the butt it was getting all that gold makeup off at night. Oh, I bet. All right, well, I'll talk to you next week then, Ken, and hopefully everybody and, listening. And to all the legion of listeners. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay, see you next time, everybody, on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.